And I want to share on the name of Jesus this morning. That's what I want to speak about, the name of Jesus. Actually, I want to talk more about names and uh, the name and names of Jesus. In other words, Jesus has more than one description in the Bible. We've been singing about it already. He's, he's the Lamb, He's the Lion, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is um, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's not a swear word. That's actually a, a title given to Him in the Bible. And so we want to understand all of this this morning and celebrate it. That's basically what I want for us, I want for you to understand something more about names and Jesus' name. And uh, you know, some of his names are a lot more like titles that you wouldn't use. Uh, for example, when you see the Lamb of God in Scripture, I doubt anyone would go up to Jesus and say, Morning Lamb, that's, that's not how you would address Jesus. I don't think his disciples said morning Lamb of God, and yet when John the baptizer saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So there's, there's something more to Jesus' names. It's also about who he is in terms of his role that he plays in humanity's history. And so that's what we need to understand um, really well today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at these um, ideas together. Heavenly Father, as we spend some time in your word this morning, I ask you to come and change our lives. We don't want to just hear your word and forget it. We want to be impacted this morning by your truth and that your truth would lead us to a place of strength and freedom, we pray. So God, by your Holy Spirit, come and move upon us and change us for your glory. Amen. So I was just referring to this text in John 1 verse 29. John the baptizer is baptizing people and it says in John 1 verse 29, the next day... He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And this is really what I want for us today, to behold Jesus more fully. And we will do this by considering some of his names and titles and what they mean. And, uh, well, should we really take a whole sermon to consider this idea of names? Well, think about Psalm 8 verse 1 that says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There it is. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So we, we could read the whole psalm. With the, it's to the choir master according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. And then we get very familiar with this line, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because it's part of a... A song or a hymn or something that we sing and so often we don't then meditate on the actual meaning of what we've just said but God's name is majestic how majestic is your name and that's what we need to understand more about today why is this name majestic why is it the name above all names when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus maybe David isn't a, you know that was David's psalm then you might say, well, that's just David's view. But look at how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 verse 9. When Jesus shared this instruction to his disciples on how we should pray, he begins, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah. Hallowed be your name. That's the 
priority, the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, is to exalt God's name. It's the very first thing we declare. What name is this that is hallowed? What name is this? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Moses had this question when God appeared to him in the burning bush. If you remember the story of Moses in the burning bush from Sunday school, Moses was uh, going along his way and then he suddenly got distracted. He noticed that there was this bush that was burning and it wasn't being consumed. It was the manifest presence of God catching his attention so that he could have a conversation with Moses in order to commission Moses to go and bring deliverance to the people who were in Egypt, God's people who were in slavery. And so God's busy telling Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to command him to let my people go and my people are going to go with you. It's like a kind of a mini insurrection. It's not quite a coup d'etat, but it's certainly like a rebellion and a defection. And so Moses is wondering, how will they believe what I'm saying to them? And he asks God, and we can read about this in Exodus 3 verse 13 and 14. Exodus 3 verse 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So this word God there, the God of your fathers, is Elohim, which is, Elohim is actually God's plural, and it was commonly used for more than one God in that generation. People were polytheistic, and they worshipped different gods, and so that term Elohim was, was not specific enough. It was vague. It didn't really say, who is this God? And so Moses says to God, tell me your name. Who are you? What name shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now if you're an English speaker and probably a Hebrew like Moses, that sentence never reads easily, no matter how you look at it. I am has sent me to you. It's like, that sounds confusing. But God can't lie. So when Moses asks God, which, what's your name? God has to tell him the truth that he's almost beyond being able to be named. So this I am who I am, it is um, it's effectively saying, this is, this is me, I exist. I, I, I have no beginning, I have no end, I'm, I'm eternal. Uh, in fact, there's part of the grammar that's a to be form of grammar, which means I will be who I will be. I am who I am. So God is transcendent, He's outside of time, He's unchanging, He's eternal. He's like saying, I exist. It's like, I am, that's me. So, so you can't contain God in a simple name. And I'm sure God was fully aware of Moses' struggle here. But the Hebrew that's used in that I am, I am who I am, is where we get the name Yahweh. So when we speak about Yahweh as God, it's actually from that grammatical construction, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. The meaning is I exist, no beginning, no ending, no becoming, no dependence on anything outside of myself. That's my name, is what God is saying. And in the next verse, Exodus 3 verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, 
the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So we can read it like this. God Elohim, or God's a common word, also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Jehovah, the Elohim of Abraham. So this, this name now that gets used is, is translated in English to the Lord, but in the Hebrew it's, it's Jehovah, and it's not how we pronounce it, of course. But it's also derived from Yahweh. So the, the name Jehovah is actually a derivative of Yahweh, but it's more appropriate to use as a name for God. So first God says, I am who I am. And then he says, say to them, Yahweh or Jehovah has sent you. And from there on they use the term Jehovah as the national God of Israel. So... I want you to dwell on this for a moment. Um, when we, when God says Jehovah has, is, is His name, and this, as it said there, what is, let me look for it. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Jehovah, Yahweh, is God. He is self-existent and eternal. And he's introducing himself as that God of the gods. So he is Yahweh, Jehovah. Well, when we use this name, we're referring to the being, the person of God. But with God, his name is not just a symbolic, unique identifier with no meaning. For example, someone could come and ask me, okay, uh, your name is Kim. What does Kim mean? I don't have a clue. It doesn't have a meaning, but it definitely differentiates me from most other guys. Because in this room, there's no other guy called Kim. It's more or less a girl's name in the country I grew up in. And uh, I don't have trauma, don't worry. <laughs> but the point is, for, for many people, the name is just how you uniquely differentiate the person from other people. It's just a unique identifier. And um, it's not even completely unique, certainly in Madagascar. Um, there's some popular names, so we know it's always Yanji who did it. Um, and it's supposed to it kind of like just say, sometimes it has some meaning, but it, it, it's not guaranteed. So even if you like the meaning of names, you could name your son, you know, Conqueror, and then it turns out to be a very timid guy, and you just don't know why it didn't come to pass. Because you actually don't have that power. So just by naming your kid a certain name, you don't impart certain character to him. But with God, it's a little bit different. Because in God, there's only truth. There's no confusion. There's no sin. There's nothing that could derail anything. So when he says he is, he is. If he says, I'm this, he is that. And so consider these opening verses of the uh, Ten Commandments. I'll read from Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. So in Exodus 20 and verse 2, it's the Ten Commandments, God says, I am the Lord, which we now know is Yahweh or Jehovah. I am Jehovah your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So God's talking about idolatry and he's saying to his people, I'm Jehovah and I'm jealous in my nature. I'm protective, possessive, desiring a covenant with you and you should be devoted to me. Don't devote yourself to other gods. And so he says, I'm a, I'm a jealous God. And then later, interestingly, we see God speaking about how he will drive out the Amorites and the Canaanites and all these other acts from uh, the promised land, I guess. And he's speaking to his people saying, after I drive these guys out, we read in Exodus 34 verse 13 and 14, he says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So that's, a, that's Exodus 34 verse 14. The Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So God's basically doing something very profound now. He's saying, if, if I give you this name, Jealous, then it means I'm jealous. So His name and His nature, there's a kind of a, an intertwine, there's a synergy, an agreement, a, a harmony between those things. And so that's important for us to know, and it'll become more important as my message kind of when I wrap it up. But at this point, just understand this, when God gives a name, it's not just an identifier, it's about His actual being. And that's very important for us to understand. So what we see is that the name and nature of God are one. He is who He says He is. The names of God then reveal to us His nature. We get to know Him, for He is exactly who He says He is. So now we come to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let's understand a bit more about Jesus. And I'm going on the um, assumption here that if you're a believer, you understand that Jesus is God. He's God the Son who incarnated, took on flesh and came to earth and was given the name Jesus when He was born. And um, His... Uh, let's say deity is something I'm taking for granted here so we can at times speak about Jesus as God at times we can speak about the Father who is not the Son so I, I'm, I'm Trinitarian in my theology I hope you are too so let's look at Jesus now the Lamb of God that um, we, we saw John say behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world well, we see the angel told Joseph, who was Mary's husband or betrothed, in Matthew 1 verse 21, the angel appears to Joseph and we read in Matthew 1 verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Now the Greek phrase... He shall save, I say it's Greek now because we're in the New Testament, it's not the, the Hebrew Old Testament. The Greek phrase, he shall save, in Matthew 1 verse 21, emphasizes he, using this word autos, which is like auto, automatic. Uh, it's, it's when you look at something that is given that um, word, in, even in the English language, it means it does it. It does it. Something that's automatic, it does it, not you. you. You have an automatic transmission car, what does it do for you? 
changes gears for you. It's not manual transmission, it's automatic transmission. So he will save his people from their sins. So in the grammar there, Jesus will save, not you don't have to save yourself. That's really how profound that statement is, that Jesus will do it. And the Heidelberg Catechism says, why is the Son of God called Jesus? That is a Savior. Because He saveth us and delivereth us from our sins. And likewise, because we ought not to seek and neither can find salvation in any other. So He and He alone saves. That's what Jesus is about. And now when we look at Colossians 1 verse 15, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is God manifesting Himself. He's the image of the invisible God. You can't see God because He is spirit. He's, he's incorporeal, meaning He has no body. You can't go up to Him and have a conversation with Him like we can with one another. He's spirit. But for the world to know God, God came and took on flesh and He was born of a Virgin Mary and He came into this world and He was named Jesus. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So Jesus is showing us what God's heart is, what His personality is, what His nature is. Who God is, is revealed in Jesus. And of course, Jesus is God, the Son. So He's not doing a copy job, He's actually doing it in person. And what is this name that's given to Him at His birth into the world? This name, Jesus? Well, in the Hebrew, it is... I don't know if it's actually Hebrew, but anyway, it's, it's Yeshua. And some people are now going all on about we should call Jesus Yeshua. But the thing is, we don't speak Greek and Hebrew. So it's okay to call Him Jesus, because that's just the anglicized form, or the Latin variation that became eventually English, of this name Yeshua. And if you really want to split hairs, Yeshua is anyway an abbreviated form of Yehoshua, which commonly in English is now Joshua. Joshua. So Jesus' name and Joshua is pretty much the same thing. And um, did you know when I named my son Evan, he's now writing exams in South Africa in the next few weeks, Evan is actually influenced by, or so like a Welsh name, that is actually the same as John. And like the name Ewan and Johan, it's all the same name. Johan, Ewan, Evan, John. So it doesn't sound the same, does it? Evan is John. I'm not going to call my son John. <laughs> I called him Evan. But actually, we call Jesus Jesus, but it's the same root as Yehoshua, which is also the root of the, the English name again, Joshua. But here's where it gets really awesome. Yehoshua is a compound name which is made up of Yahweh and the Hebrew verb Yasha, which means to save. To save. Yahweh saves. That's the name of Jesus. Yeah. So 
the angel appeared to Joseph and said, You name your son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His very name is Yahweh saves. Now just like Yahweh is jealous, jealous is his name, Yahweh is a saving God. He saves. So this Jesus that we worship, his name means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh is a savior. And when we speak of Jesus, we are declaring Yahweh saves. Not just that he does this, but that in his essential being and nature, our God is a savior. He is a God who saves. It's in his very being and nature to save. I find that beautiful because if I ever felt that it was me persuading God to accept me, this sets me right. This tells me it is God who was motivated to seek and save me because he by his nature is savior. He comes to save. It's who he is. It's who God is. He is a savior by nature. He is merciful. He is holy. Holy is His name because He is holy and God is a Savior and He saves. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why we sing it. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing Yahweh saves. And we sing that Jesus, you are my Savior. You're a God who saves. Yahweh saves. And Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the manifest God in a body who came to save us. And of course, the phrase I just used from the, the song we sing, what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We speak of Christ. And Christ comes from the Greek Christos. Now, Christos means anointed one anointed one. So Jesus is the chosen one of God anointed to be the Savior and there is no other. So when we say Christ, we're actually affirming there is no other. He is the anointed, the chosen Savior. In other words, God the Father, God our God, put forward Jesus as Savior because God is a saving God and there is no other. You know with this idea of anointing, when you anoint a king, like when Samuel went to go and find Saul, or then later David to anoint, he didn't anoint two people. There were two possibilities. There were never two options. There was one chosen to be the king, and he was anointed to be the king. Jesus was chosen and anointed to save. No other will ever carry that role. I don't, you can talk about Muhammad, he was a prophet to some, but he was not anointed by God to save. There's no other, only Jesus Christ. Yahweh saves through this anointed one, Jesus. And so for us to sing about Jesus Christ our Lord, we're actually declaring magnificent truths. We're declaring deep things that God is revealing about His salvation. And so we get to this name of Jesus and let's, let's read more in Philippians 2 verse 5 to 11. Philippians 2 verse 5 
says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There it is, Christ Jesus, the anointed Yahweh saves. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus comes and he takes the very lowest place. He comes as a helpless baby and he comes into the world vulnerable and he gets he lives a perfect and sinless life and he gets murdered for it. He surrenders to the cross. He lays his life down because no one could do that to God. But he does it in humility to save us. Therefore, verse 9 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is going to happen. Absolutely guaranteed. You either humble yourself before the exalted risen Savior and declare Jesus Christ, you are God the Savior. You do it in this life and you have eternal life. Or you do it in the, after this life when you meet him and he is your enemy and you face his judgment. So at the end of time when Jesus returns, all the nations will bow before him. Yeah. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will declare this is in fact yes. the God who saves. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King. That's what will be declared. So what we see is he humbled himself and the Father exalted him and gave him a name above every name. And so when we look now beyond the incarnation where Jesus was given this name Jesus to show us who he is and know who God is, we now see what we're looking forward to in the book of Revelation. And I want to read to you from Revelation 19 verse 11 onwards. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and true. Some more names there. Faithful and true. That's who God is. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. I guess that's crowns. So if you don't know that word, like I don't know that word, I never use it in English. It's a diadem, it's a crown. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Wow, I thought I knew everything about my Savior, but actually there's mysteries beyond the mysteries, and you will be amazed when you see Jesus. Yeah. There's stuff about Him that you could never even know. Yeah. He's infinite. He's infinite. You can never grasp it all. And there's another name. There's a name that no one knows but Himself. Of course He is God, so it's not suggesting that God the Father doesn't know that. There's nothing that the omniscient God doesn't know. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. There's another name. He's the Word of God. Why? Because God has spoken through his Son to reveal himself. So he is the Word. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we know him as Jesus, but he is also faithful and true. He is also King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he also has a name which no one knows. It's so sacred, I guess. And this got me thinking about this name that no one knows, and how is it that the name is so, with God is so much about identity. It's about who you are. It's not just saying you are different from someone. It's in the case of God, it's actually defining and, and, and revealing His nature and His character. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, faithful and true, jealous. He's the Lamb, He's the Lion. And He's got this name. And so I did a bit more research and look what you find in Revelation 2 verse 17. In the same book earlier on in Revelation 2 verse 17, Jesus is speaking. And he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. And no one knows a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Wow, so Jesus hands out white stones with names on that get given to you if you're one of the conquerors. And of course, we are conquerors in Christ. It means we stand and we are justified. We, we receive this because of His work on the cross. And so we end up receiving a stone. And white stone, there are a whole lot of interpretations for what this could be. And there's one or two more likely interpretations. And the, in the time of the writing, when John wrote this, it was um, customary to use um, white and black stones in, the, in a court of law. When someone was judged, the verdict would be they would put forward a white stone if he was innocent and a black stone if he was condemned. There was that idea. But an even more strong possible meaning for this white stone is that they used white stones with um, something written on them as a token, like a, not, not a coin for trade, but a ticket to gain access to an event. So if you go to a, a, a club, they put that little band on you. Have you ever been to somewhere where they tag you with a little band? Or maybe they stamp you with a stamp to get access to that shady nightclub you shouldn't be visiting. And they hold the UV light over it and they can see if you've got the mark of the beast. I'm just kidding. Trying to show you that they already did this stuff 2,000 years ago. If you were going to go to the arena and watch a show, they would, you would pay for a token that give you a white stone. The white stone would give you entry when you arrived at the event. So this is typically two ideas that we see carried over in this picture. That there's atonement, or you're declared innocent is one possibility. The other is you gain admission. You, you're allowed access to something. So let's read in Revelation 3 verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven 
and my own new name. So, here we get given the name of God, the name of the city, and His own new name, the name of our Savior that we don't know yet. So He's not hiding it from us, He's just going to reveal it to us like a treasure when we get to heaven because He's going to give it to you. He's going to write it on you. You're going to get a stone with a new name. You, what is all this really about? Well, it's about ownership and belonging. I realized this just the other day. We were standing at the airport on Friday, checking my sons in to go to South Africa, and there was no tag on the suitcase. And I noticed the lady who had told the guy who was checking in ahead of us, he had to put a tag on that suitcase. And so he had to write on that tag who the suitcase belongs to and where it belongs, the address. And we wrote there on my suitcase a name and an address. That's who it belongs to. It's obvious. That's what's happening right there. Jesus comes and he says, I'm giving you the name of my father, you belong in the family. I'm giving you the name of the new Jerusalem, you belong in this city. I'm giving you my own name. I died for you to make you mine. What part is that? That's the marriage. I gave her my name. She is Sue Midgley. She used to be Sue Marks. She's Sue Midgley. That's my name. I gave it to her. She humbly accepted it. I mean, it wasn't forced. She wanted to be mine. God wants you to be His. And so He gives you a name. He puts you in his family. He shows you where you live. I feel as safe as that suitcase and more. Tagged with his identity. Labeled belonging to him. Branded, if you like, a slave. I don't care. I'm a slave of a good master. He can punch my ear. He can write his name on me. This is what we see in scripture is that the believers have always been marked for God. They've been named by Him. They've been given an identification tag. We belong to Him. In the world, people take another mark. If they don't know Jesus, they end up with a mark that says they belong to this world. It's called the mark of the beast. It's not a, if I take it, I'll lose my salvation. It's, I'll never take it because Jesus has already put His mark on me. That's how Scripture really explains these things. And so I want to end with those ideas. I want the band to come up and uh, I want us to worship Jesus Christ our Lord, Yahweh who saves and who came and put his name on us and will give us a new name and address and say you stay with me for all eternity. Let's stand and worship him too.